I think it has to start from the moment I got the script. Fortunately, I was coming to LA, met with the Daniels, had to meet with the Daniels, because I would only take on a project if there is real passion. If when I speak to them, I see the passion in their eyes. I hear it in coming from here because I'm not going to go and leave my family and people I love for three, four months at a time on lip service, on doing something that even you don't believe in. How are you going to convince me to be part of that? So when I met them, I didn't tell them <laughs> because when I read the script, I thought, this is something, oh dear. No, this is something I've been waiting for, for a long time. That's going to give me the opportunity to show my fans, my family, my audience, what I'm capable of. To be funny, to be real, to be sad. Finally, somebody understood that I can do all these things. Hello and welcome to The Letterbox Show, a podcast about the movies people love watching from Letterbox, the social network for people who love watching movies. I'm Gemma, he is Slim, and you know the format. Each episode we're joined by a Letterboxd friend or two for a chat about their four favourite films, except that this week we are breaking the format a bit because we literally have no idea what multiverse we currently are in. Every rejection, every disappointment has led us here to this moment, and we won't let anyone distract us from it. <laughs> Slim, would you please introduce our guests? Uh, yes, Gemma. Today on the show, we have two Daniels, and if you've been paying attention at all to Letterboxd over the last little while, you will know exactly which Daniels they are. The Daniels, the writers and directors of many music videos and the movie Swiss Army Man and everything, everywhere, all at once. And they're on the Letterbox show to talk about movies. Which movies? We're not sure yet, but we have one in mind. First, welcome to the show, Daniel Kwan. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for having us. <laughs> I'm having the best day of my life, Daniel, if I can be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Daniel Shiner, also welcome to the show this week. I'm also happy to be here. Hello. <laughs> oh, thank God. Imagine if one of you was happy and one of you was not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. usually we try to split it up, the emotions, the emotional response to things. But yeah. today we are in unison. Yeah, we're in the same spot. Exactly. <laughs> to kick things off, we do have some news for you both. Mm -hmm. A huge announcement. Gemma, would you like to do the honors? Okay, yep. Deep breaths. Drum roll, please. As of <laughs> only a couple of hours ago, at the time of taping this podcast, Everything Everywhere All at Once, a, a small feature film starring Michelle Yeoh, is now the highest rated feature film of all time on Letterboxd. <laughs> I was tempted to like gag myself and barf as like a bit. <laughs> We're very overwhelmed. We, uh, it's honestly, it's like embarrassing. It's almost like we we sent each other like a video that we thought was funny and then it went viral. Like that's what it feels like where it's like no one else was supposed to see us in the States and suddenly everyone is looking at it. And Here, it's I've got music for your speech. Oh, oh yeah. Thank you. Oh, actually. Oh, so we, uh, someone just showed up with this for us. Best movie of all time. Oh my gosh. Thank oh. you. I think this um, is going to. We would like to thank uh, Recency Bias yeah. and just all the hardcore fans who are right. uh, hyperbolically praising us, giving us five star reviews. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't agree with any of it. Um, 
I think that our movie we think it's good. Yeah, we, our movie we're proud of it, but it's yeah. like not not better than Parasite, not better than The Godfather's. No, like, that's insane. If you haven't seen the movie yet, say just like remember that it was made by these two idiots, and yeah. just go in with like appropriate expectations. Okay. Thank you, Letterboxd. You're getting played off now. Okay, okay thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, it doesn't make any sense, and like it, it, it kind of hurts me a little bit as someone who has like intense um, imposter syndrome. Like this is like the worst feeling in the world. So <laughs> I, I love, I love that the fans are so happy and are connecting with the movie. But like, uh, I kind of want to just like hide in a corner. Yeah, he keeps asking people to give us one stars. He's like, I don't like this. Please, can you start a letterbox account, mom? <laughs> There's only ever been, like he said, there's only ever been two number one movies in the official top 250s, The Godfather, Parasite, and now your film. So not too shabby, not too shabby company. Are you killing me? <laughs> we told our producers when, you know, um, we sent the script over, we were like, hey, this this butt plug action movie, we're pretty sure is better than The Godfather. Yeah. You know? we, told, we told them, you know, they didn't believe us. Yeah. To switch gears, Gemma was the first person that I heard of talk about this movie, and you kind of were in on the ground floor, like maybe like a month or two ago, where you're like, I think there might be something cooking with this movie that we should be ready for. What was, hmm. do you remember that experience? Wow. How do I describe it? Okay. The first time I ever saw the White Stripes was in a tiny club in Wellington, New Zealand, back in like 1999, 2000, maybe, with about. 32 other people, like Jack wow. and Meg, just sitting in the corner. And their tour Jeez. manager was like, oh, Gemma, could you just sit with them while I go and sort something out the door? And so I'm hanging out with them, whatever, who are these people? Then they played their show. And honestly, we were walking on clouds for months after that show. And that was the oh. feeling I had seeing everything everywhere. Oh. oh my gosh, what a comparison. Um, Thank you. So who's Meg and who's Jack? Who's going to leave the other one behind? And just I think leave? I'm Meg. I think I'm Meg. Yeah. No, but I like drumming. But, but Jack's think, kind yeah. of gone pretty off the deep end, which I right, see coming. Exactly. I see so, that's going to happen Thank to you. you. Yes. Thank you for humbling us in that way. Yeah. I mean, do we talk about The Godfather or Parasite or do we talk about everything? <laughs> Those, are the top. Those are the four faves. Oh, Those, we'll start with that. Well, So everything everywhere all at once, I think as of this episode officially going out, will be in, more, in a wider audience. So we've yet to have kind of like at large the Letterbox community experience it. But even Jack, who put together our facts, uh, pointed out about how Parasite didn't get to number one until late November of that release, which was six months after its premiere mm -hmm. and about after 80,000 people had viewed it on Letterbox. So all at once has done that in three weeks. Yeah, so not to double down on on how you're feeling, but we're doubling down. <laughs> we're doubling down. Oh, you need to get ready right now. Oh I'm trying to think of like which which presidential candidate came in hot and then ended up with like a two percent vote. You know, right. like, yeah, yeah, like, like, like Mitt Romney and like yeah, you know, we're one of those. Yeah, we're yeah. like the Jeb Bush. Of Jeb movies. Bush, that's what it is. <laughs> like, exactly. Like the clear front runner. Boom. Yeah, I think please in a few clap. months we're going to be saying yeah. like, please clap. Yeah, <laughs> this time next year we're going to be please clap. <laughs> I don't want to jinx it, but I think Michelle Yeoh needs to start thinking about her Oscar outfit now. Oh, mm. thank God. I mm. that To me, if that's the only thing that comes out of this movie, I'll be so happy to be part of that legacy. That is the part we're unabashed about, is just talking about our cast and just how lucky we got and how much each of them uh, killed it. And how our movie kind of is like an acting reel for, for each of them, you know, where it's like, mm. each of these people can do a lot of different things. You're not allowed to typecast them anymore. <laughs> 
Here is one movie that proves that, that each of them has an insane amount of range. And guess what? That's still only part of, you know, what each of them is capable of. But yeah, let's mm. give her a statue. I can't wait. Is that how we figure out what four films to talk about? Shall we shall we go through each of the cast? Because we I think could. you you have single or I guess double handedly. Oh, by the way, what's your shorthand for everything, everywhere, all at once? Is it all at once? Is it everything or is it that's good <laughs> uh, usually everything everywhere is fine um, or we just say everything which is very confusing in a sentence but- <laughs> internally we used to always call it bubbles because uh, like we had this map of other universes and it was like the the cosmic foam and and, and so we would just mm. shorthand we just be like bubbles we're working on bubbles which is oh. you know it was never the working title but it's just fun to say yeah <laughs> Well, you mentioned the you mentioned maybe even going through the cast, but I think uh, Shiner, you talked about Michelle's another Letterbox video was Police Story Three Super Cop. Mm-hmm. So after I saw that interview, I was like, oh, I haven't watched this in so long. I need to fire that up. Holy God in heaven! What an amazing performance! She's so good in that movie, you know. Yeah. And if anything, like you said, if anything, people go see this movie. Maybe it's time for everyone to go back through her filmography because it's so fun to go back and rewatch those films, especially she's putting her body on the line in that movie. Mm. It's so good to rewatch. It feels like a different like different world going back there to watch that film again. And especially totally. those early films um, before she, you know, she was brought over to Western audiences, she was allowed to be different characters. I think now in America, most people only know her for like um, Crouching Tiger, Crazy Rich Asians, and um, Shang-Chi. Yeah, Shang-Chi. And like a lot of those characters are very similar. Um, whereas like in Police Story, you get, or in um, Super Cop, you get this window into how playful she can be, how vulnerable she can be. It's, it's very much like she is uh, absorbing a lot of what made Jackie Chan so incredible um, in that film. And uh, it's, yeah, it's such a joy to watch her, like almost like I won't say her at her prime, but it feels like wow, this this, this person is so talented and so fearless, and to see, especially to see like a a female action uh, hero be able to um, just you know hold her own against Jackie Chan is like mm-hmm. it's, it's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that like that movie also is like a window into what uh, <laughs> Michelle's actually like, uh, which is like she's able to hold her own and she's so confident. But but playful and like and so she'd always be teasing us in a way where you like you're like oh I love you but also uh, I respect you um, <laughs> right it's, it's, and, she's like the sweetest auntie ever like yeah. she would she yeah she was making fun of us all the time because she'd like and always threatening to beat us up right but, but never actually doing it but like <laughs> no she literally she's, she's, I know she said uh, uh, I'm in I trust you guys, your vision, I'm going to do this movie, but if you mess it up, I will kill you. And it's like, <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah, so beautiful, but also having seen some of her movies, we're like, does she mean it? You know? um, how, how did the approach work? I mean, do you get her number? Do you go through her agent? Do you get the casting director to call her up? Like, what's the, Yeah. did you have to we, meet her? You know, it's we like We went pandemic. through her agents and like, uh, it, we, we went through her agents and it was like a few weeks before Crazy Rich Asians came out. Um, that we met her. Uh, so she was in town doing press for that. And we're so lucky she liked the script. We thought we were going to have to really explain all of it or and really try to convince her to risk, you know, her brand um, for something so off the mm. wall. But kind of the opposite was true where she was so excited that this role was an opportunity to show that she has so much more to offer and that she is funny and uh, 
And so the meeting was just a get to know you meeting. It wasn't like a, um, it wasn't nearly as scary as we thought it might be. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and she believed in the movie, which like, I, you can't put a number on that, but it, it's like, it's why the movie even exists is that like, uh-huh. we then got to go to producers and financiers and be like, Michelle Yeoh's gung ho. She's going to, she wants to play the part she's yeah. in. There's a gravity that kind of pulls and, in. The, and that made other actors excited yeah. to be involved and, yeah. it, and it helped us, you know, it, it made other people believe in it. Yeah. It's the Michelle Yeoh effect that, um, we're, we're still experiencing even now. Like, you know, it, like we knew this movie was going to be uh, special, but we didn't know how, how many different audiences would, uh, how many different types of audiences would just want to see it purely for Michelle Yeoh. Like, I think that's oh, like yeah. something like I, yeah, I didn't fully appreciate until now. It's like, she's like almost a, a the great unifier in this moment for film. It's mm. like, everyone wants to see Michelle Yeoh as a star at the center of her own movie. And like, luckily we delivered you know on that Mm -hmm. Uh, in so many ways I mean it also it's kind of crude to say there's so much fan service in this film but when you put Michelle Yeoh in more fan service than Spider-Man No Way Home (laughs) (laughs) I mean Michelle and Jamie in a sausage fingered uh, love nest is like there thing there are things in this film we never knew we wanted. I'm going to read you a couple of short reviews on Letterboxd. Uh, this oh no. one is from <laughs> just a just a just a nobody by the name of Bowen Yang. Just you know <laughs> some random. That's a beautiful this name. Is, <laughs> this is one of the best things I've ever seen in my piece of shit life. <laughs> oh, Bowen! I'm sure. I'm sure it's not that bad. <laughs> I remember seeing that. <laughs> I like that review. Uh, and then this one, amazing. this 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 review by David Chen, who I don't know if you know David. He's a yeah, he's a, yeah. yeah We've wonderful. been following him since college. Yeah. This is such a film. It spoke to me on such a core level that it felt genetically engineered to meet me at this point in my life. It may mm. be my new favorite movie of all time. No joke. Oh. <laughs> so there's something going on, like. I, you know, I'm I'm a non-immigrant white girl from the middle classes, and I go into mm-hmm. that film, and I'm like, oh my god, this is me. This was genetically engineered for me. Wow. And then you've got Dave Chen saying that, and then you've got, mm-hmm. I mean, we've 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 already seen and heard many people, including Mia Vicino, who co-hosts our other uh, podcast Weekend Watch List, talking about how turning red and everything everywhere all at once have both arrived at the exact same time that all North American mm-hmm. Asian girls of immigrant parents needed, you know, like <laughs> this is a moment. How did this happen? Yeah. We, we genetically, we accidentally genetically engineered it for a, a lot of different people and different people love it <laughs> for different reasons. And that, and that's been really wild and fun to talk to people about like, you know, whether the mother's story, the uh, daughter's story or the husband's story like resonated with them or the tax auditor story. I got to meet someone who was a tax auditor and she liked the movie. Uh, um, she didn't judge us for our yeah, so logic. Psych, yeah. yeah, but it is not, it is genetically engineered to be not for people with severe epilepsy. Uh, yes. Oh yes, so the, this is true. That is the crowd it is not for. It's kind of an intense movie right. or people who don't like, yeah. It is also genetically engineered to uh, be the exact film we want to see in cinemas 
coming out the other side of a pandemic where we have all had a lot of mental health going on. Yeah. And, you know, and amongst the multiverseness of it all, there's this beautiful through line in this, and Swiss Army Man, by the way, where you are you are very beautifully examining the the yeah. health of the brain and the body and the heart. And I just want to ask how your mental health is right now. I mean, yeah, we're in a really weird uh, snapshot moment in our life where um, I, 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 I haven't, appreciate the question. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, I haven't cried more in, in my entire life in, in such a short amount of time. You know, from the moment the movie premiered at South by to now, I feel like I've shed tears almost every day. And it's for a range of emotions. It's all over the place. It is very, it's, it's actually very unhealthy. It's very manic. The amount of uh, dopamine I am like just like smashing into my, my brain mm-hmm. every single, um, almost every hour. And you selling us we're number one didn't help. Exactly. This is, oh. yeah. <laughs> we did not help matters at all to start this show. Yeah. But I mean, it, uh, it is so fulfilling because what you're saying makes so much sense to us because this movie was a direct response to the past five or six years. We started writing this in 2016. It was like a story we needed to hear. Mm -hmm. And it it was very therapeutic to Mm -hmm. work on it and to like bring like the character of Wayman to life and to try to really look at the communication gaps between generations, like uh, during the Trump era, (laughs) like it was like, it was on our brains and to try to, uh, hash it all out and work on it and, and then to make like something kind. Yeah. To make all. a, to make an action movie about empathy was like such a, a North star for us. Um, as, as we were kind of living in this, in this place where everyone, you know, f- for so long and even still right now, people have just been like wondering if we are on our way towards a civil war and, you know, the, this idea of kindness and empathy is such a, it's, it's so boring and cliche and it feels it, it's hard not to roll your eyes um, when we say these things out loud. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, these two cynical assholes needed to hear it. And then we needed to prove to ourselves through uh, our characters that it was worthy of everyone's time. And, if, you know, if we realized if we if, if we could convince um, these very like pessimistic um postmodern um, cynics that love and kindness is going to save us, then maybe we could convince the world of that. And so I think people are really responding to that because I think a lot of people need to hear that right now. Mm. Yeah, you had said, uh, first of all, I agree 100%, because you had said in interviews uh, similar to what Jem had said about fan service and a love letter, like Mm. you had talked about someone asked if this was your love letter to cinema or certain things. And uh, Quan, I think you had said this is just a movie made with love unabashed love and you get and in the response which we you know we jokingly talked about how parasite godfather were the only other two movies but coming out of this perfect storm of events people are just ready to feel love mm-hmm. <laughs> like i mean that in like the most realist sense of the phrase mm-hmm. like we've been going through the shit for so long you go to a movie and you just feel love you're like f yes mm-hmm. i'm ready I'm going to bang that five star in this goddamn letterbox yeah. app after I see this movie. <laughs> so, what, so what you're saying is we uh, we cheated. We like complimented right. the audience yeah. and we loved them. We yeah. gave them gifts. We bribed them we with bribed love. We bribed them with, yeah. our, with our affection. Yeah. And of course they're going to reciprocate. There are worse yeah. things to do in life than bribing someone yeah. with love. I, lo- I love your oh idea of God. talking about the cast uh, as a way to talk about movies. And we could talk about uh, our the secret love weapon of the movie is Ki Kwan. Oh uh, my God. 
Let's go there. Yes. Let's go there because, frankly, Indiana Jones is probably, you know, it's not in my four favorites on Letterboxd because I just, it, if I had one favorite, if I had to pick one favorite, it mm-hmm. would be Indiana Jones and the Temple one. Temple, temple of Doom. Doom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Let's talk about Short Round. Let's talk about Data. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a groundswell of support for him to take up the mantle after all these years and to write the franchise. Yeah. To become the next Indiana, we've been Jones. campaigning for it on Twitter for the last two years, even before the movie came out. Yeah, yeah. because we <laughs> met him and we were like, "This guy's incredible. He's a better martial artist than uh, Harrison Ford ever was." Like the things you could do <laughs> mm-hmm. with a short round movie are limitless, very exciting. I mean, you you saw what he can do with a fanny pack. Imagine what he can do with a whip and a fedora. Yeah. Like how so, incredible! I have my Indiana Jones sequel I want to make. Uh, yep, which is uh, Indiana Jones and the Daughters of the Confederacy because. Uh, the south and so be about a bunch of old racist grandmas like in their cult and like you know short round trying to um wow uh, navigate uh the dark history of america's racist past and and indiana jones would be like whoa 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 dude that's my grandma and he'd be like oh no he's in on it so i think it would be a big hit and fans would like it yeah yeah, wow and you were from the south you were from the south so culturally He's just pulling up his chair. Well, it slid it's out of his chair it's after like that the, description. The Asian-American transplant and then the, the And deep... the racist white guy. Exactly, yeah. 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 This is, um, uh, when can we see that? I mean, 2024, <laughs> just get it done. Wait, anyway, okay, so let's talk about Key. The moment we met him, we were just blown away by the fact that somehow this human being was able to survive the, the few decades of, of not being in the industry, kind of be, almost being pushed out because of a lack of, of roles that, that were actually um, interesting to him. Um, and he was able to survive just the strange life path that he took and come back and still be f- exactly who he was as a kid. Like you, you listen to his, the way he speaks, you see his enthusiasm and you're like this, the child that we all fell in love with um, is still here and, he's, and, and, and maybe even more so than when he was a kid, because he's even more confident. Um, and we were just so excited to, to, when we started imagining, Oh my gosh, this man is perfect for this character. This character is supposed to embody um, like joyful, naive exuberance, um, especially, you know, by the end of the movie in a way that is, is strong and in a way that is like powerful enough to um, overcome, you know, the, the chaos of, of existence right now. And we're like, this is, what what a what a joy what a treat for us to be able to actually just meet our character like it manifested in a real human being and also just just speaking as speaking as someone you know thirsty that <laughs> moment in the elevator when we first like it's like he him turning from Waymond into multiverse Waymond yeah. is like Christopher Reeve taking off his glasses. Totally. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That was the part um, when he first auditioned, we were like, oh my God, he's got Waymond down pat, but what about Alpha Waymond? And like, uh, he did a really great job in the audition as we we call him Alpha Waymond, but then he went and like worked on it with like a movement coach and a vocal coach. And like, by the time we were shooting, it was like, we didn't like, he made our job easy and he he was was a fine tuned machine. Yeah. Yeah. And he was able to just turn off all that like adorable sweetness and become such a confident nuance, you know, like subtle, uh, star. And, uh, it was, it was really fun. Everybody on set was like when he was the handsome Waymond at the movie premiere, everyone was like, Ooh, key, you look so hot. And then, uh, (laughs) they asked his wife, like, are you, are you excited? She was our translator. She like worked on the movie and she's incredible. And she was like, I don't like this Wayman. <laughs> she was like, no, <laughs> he's, 
he looks silly. That's not key. Yeah. I mean, even in the in the in the mood for love oh vibes from exactly. their scenes on the streets, like through the totally. Room. I just oh I just want to say thank you for. Um, I have a list that I've been keeping on letterbox for over a year now called. Fanny pack supremacy. Wait, really? Oh, Everything. Wow. Yeah, it's a true story. <laughs> Can you list off some other fanny pack films? I'm just going to show you my fanny pack. Like today's fanny pack. This is just um, today's one. There we go. It's a oh, nice beautiful. leopard number. Oh, yeah, my check God. that out. What, do you call it, yeah. you don't call it a fanny pack in New Zealand, right? Oh, no, you know what we call it? I forgot now. A bum bag, maybe. Or yeah. No? Bum bag. Bum bag. Yeah. Bum bag. Bum bag. But, so is it called bum bag supremacy? <laughs> yeah. No, I've called it fanny pack supremacy <laughs> okay. so that the North Americans understand what it is. But, oh, I'm sorry you, you know. have to cater to us, but I appreciate it. Yeah, because yeah. people would be like, bum bag supremacy. This sounds like... Uh, you know what I hate people calling them? Hip pouches. They are not hip pouches. Mm, yeah. They are fanny packs or bum bags. That is the only name I will accept. <laughs> but anyway, I saw, a, I saw a, a story about how you got all the different sounds of... For the fa- for the fanny pack for the wushu rope dart scene. Yeah, it was it was a mix of things. They um, I know that uh, someone on the design team was I forget who now. One of them, one of their wives, that happened to own like hundreds of fanny packs or something like that. It's um, um, it's it's fuzzy now, but they just recorded you know hours of of just fanny packs whooshing around and whipping around, <laughs> and then we mixed that in with like old school kung fu sounds, like, which was a really fun thing to kind of um, harken back to with this film because we both grew up on you know the Shaw Brothers films and Yoon Woo Ping's like incredible work of uh, just history of choreography, and so like mixing oh, yeah. the two was really fun because it was like in some ways like the fanny pack is is become at least growing up was like a very derisive. Um, stereotype for Asian dads, right? The tourist dad with the camera and the fanny pack. And this moment was almost a way for us to reclaim it and be like, guess what? My dad did have a fanny pack and it's not funny. And it was like badass. Yeah, exactly. It's (laughs) an idiot. Um, And so (laughs) to combine it with the, our history, it feels like an interesting um, cultural, historical um, stew, uh, the fanny pack fight. Apparently, according to a, a list on Letterboxd that's just gone up four days ago by Jared, it's not the first time that Key has used a fanny pack in a movie. Mm. Uh, okay. Does the data have like... Well, yeah. He has, no, he has special his, things. In yeah, his, he's got his utility belt. belt. It's right. close, yeah. I wanted to know what were some of the other films that were either multiverse jumping or time traveling that you looked to for inspiration yeah a lot a lot of the sci-fi stuff i mean there's the obvious stuff like the matrix was a, very much a, a massive um turning point in my brain as a kid when i watched it in middle school um and i think obviously everyone felt that way and so that's 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 obvious and i don't want to talk too much about it because everyone's seen that movie but a, lo- a lot of the sci-fi stuff was actually inspired more by books than movies and i don't know if letterbox people like to read books i can't read <laughs> there's like words on paper and yeah. then they put them they stick them all together. But you have to do most of the work, you know? Right. Yeah, it's very, it's, <laughs> Not I'm sorry. Um, I, but Vonne, I, like, I was thinking about this. So the idea of everything everywhere all at once is there's the, the villain, Jobu Topaki. Her, her mind is fractured. And like we, we say the filter that, that tells you, that lies to you and says that you live in one um, existence was broken. And so she suddenly has to exist everywhere at the same time and see every possibility at the same time. And that idea was kind of um, taken from, 
Vonnegut's uh, Sirens of Titan, where there's a guy who's been mm. what's, what's the chronosynclastically infundibulated. Yes, he's basically he's been <laughs> fractured through and thrown through space and time, and his life is living lived out of order. Um, and I was like, oh, that's such a beautiful premise for for the fourth dimension, time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what if we did that for? Um, I call it the fifth dimension possibility. I don't know if that maybe that's bullshit, and mm-hmm. but, um, but like I feel like the fifth possibility fifth dimension possibility i was like what if we fractured someone through that that lens mm. um and then stick them into the matrix like how cool i think we're uh we're inspired by a lot of uh like anime like people are like this this movie's so crazy and we're like yeah i mean but the animes <laughs> we loved are even weirder yeah um <laughs> but then <laughs> my brain goes to like uh, on one hand, every movie is a miracle if it gets made. And as, and if the filmmakers go in with good intentions, I'm so excited if people like that film. But, but I'm a hater sometimes. And, uh, <laughs> and this movie was inspired by a lot of like time travel movies that I don't like. Um, that like, I think I, I, my math brain wants it to make sense. He and, was uh, in math team, um, in high school. And so I get, yeah. I get very frustrated. <laughs> time travel team. Like when the logic is brushed over, cause that's what I want. I'm like, I'm so hungry for the logic of the Terminator mm. that I can't enjoy the Terminator. I'm just so busy, <laughs> furious that I don't it's understand not even, it's not even what like, I'm supposed to care about. Right. It's not even like wanting the logic. It's wanting them to acknowledge that right. the logic doesn't make And like, I want the characters to yeah. react to how time travel would make them feel. Or like even movies about aliens, like I want the characters to react to the existential crisis that would come with intelligent life right. before they start deciding, you know, whether or not to fight them or not. Um, <laughs> Or in the middle of that, I had that same feeling when I saw, rewatched um, what was Ridley Scott's prequel, Aliens, Prometheus, was it Covenant, Alien Covenant. Pr- uh, Pr- Prometheus was the first one, so they had all these scientists go to like another planet for the first time in their lives, and then on top of that, they see aliens, and it's like the most n- normal thing they've ever experienced. <laughs> like, the, their minds w- should have been melting in that moment for the whole movie, but yeah. they're like, yeah, yeah, but this is normal for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so this, but yeah, this movie was is a reaction to time travel multiverse movies um, that don't acknowledge the fact that infinity is terrifying. And if the multiverse really is this infinite branching, ever growing um, stew of, uh, of, of possibilities, Mm. like how scary would that be in real life? But then also how terrible would that be for a movie? If we narrative and for a character who's supposed to save the world, but like the, but PS there's an infinite number of worlds. Right. And so, (laughs) well then, yeah. What am I, mm-hmm. Wait, what am I trying to do? And so, like the the villain of this movie is is not a human or even like a, a like a system or anything like that, which is normally what sci fi movies deal with as far as like the the bad good dichotomy. The villain of the movie is just existence, which is really funny to say. Or so infinity. It's or infinity. Or yeah, exactly. It's just like yeah. it's just the chaos. The I, I think uh, Kubrick says it's like it's the um, indifferent universe. Like it says, mm. it's, it's not. He says the. The terrifying thing of our universe is not that it's hostile, which I think a lot of people think it is. It's not that it's hostile. Mm. It's that it's indifferent. It's like, oh, gosh, ah. that's so so that that quote really s- struck a chord with us. And we're like, let's make mm. a movie about that. I feel like the villain of the movie is is Evelyn being too busy. Yeah. Like the, 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 the <laughs> yes. sort of the, the too business of the capitalist society. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that. a great interpretation because the. We always sum it up as like the movie is about a woman trying to reconnect through her with her family through all the noise of modern life. And that like Mm. we use genre and tons of hijinks to kind of hyperbolize what those what that noise is and what the distractions are, you know, Um, and it starts with very relatable distractions like the TV's turned on and your taxes are late. 
and then we introduce uh, an, an increasing number of distractions. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. The opening the opening starts with a a portrait of a woman who's actually really um, just mean. Just like mm-hmm. all these like small microaggressions mm-hmm. that happen throughout the opening of the film, um, and that, and all the characters are doing it. You know, throughout the first ten minutes of the movie, you, we witness like tiny expressions of ageism, racism, sexism, um, just all 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 these terrible things that. Um, we uh, kind of present towards each other when we're not paying attention, you know? And I think that's that's really what we're trying to say is like, is, no one here is bad. No one here wants to mm. hurt each other, but we're all just treading water. And in that process of treading water, we're not seeing each other. We don't have the time to see each other. And mm. so the movie's kind of saying like, one of the most important things we can do right now today as a society is to pay attention to each other. When when we live in a in a world where, you know, billion dollar corporations are spending so much money every year just to take our attention away from each other um so yeah, yeah. you're totally right the the villain is busyness it's 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 it's, it's yeah it's a very funny way to put it shiner you had mentioned when the death of dick long had come out that you were sneaking into audiences to record reactions. Yeah. <laughs> what's your what's your plan for uh for when this one gets a wider release you gonna be doing the same thing uh this one has a similar thing where like uh it's this time it's a little further along, but yeah, about the two thirds mark, we get to the rock universe and it, and I have multiple recordings. Ooh, spoiler <laughs> alert. Yeah. I have a lot of recordings yeah. of the rock scene, uh, which is like, uh, we knew we were proud of it when we wrote it. And then we did a rough cut and we were like, Oh, it's, it's really good. And even then like with audiences now, it's better than we thought to watch that scene yeah. with an audience and watch people, you know, uh, react so strong to a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> I had a question about that scene technically and, it, and, it, and it's, I, I think we're going to get the rap soon, but I, I don't want to rap without you being able to shout out your crew, your team. Yeah, and there's yes. a, there was a Twitter thread a couple of days ago about the fact that about seven people did the VFX on this quite VFX heavy film. And one of them is your partner, Dan Kwan, Kirsten Lepore, the amazing animator, did she do the rocks or was that someone else? You know, it's, um, yes, my wife is incredible. She's like probably one of the best visual effects artists I've ever worked with. Um, she's done stuff on So Sorry Man. She's done stuff on a lot of our short films. Just like the hardest stuff that we don't know how to do. She's incredible at. Um, this one, she she was really busy doing her own thing, so she couldn't do as much. Um, but the rock universe is 100%. Um, it's just us poking rocks with sticks. There's no animation involved. Yeah. It's like um, we just had to take the stick out. Yeah, but the behind the scenes is really lame. It's yeah. just oh, it's, it's us please just release melting. it. We want to see know. it. Yeah, I, I would love to show you guys the uh, because before we could shoot it, we still needed to edit it. Um, so I went out into the woods and just shot a bunch of still pictures, still images with, of like rocks, and I, I brought some like cheap googly eyes so mm-hmm. there's like a rough cut version of it that is so funny because it's so janky yeah um, oh, our, man. our effects artists are all uh filmmakers with their own kind of oove and and each of them like i think had the the freedom to kind of bring their aesthetic to the movie um so i get i, I really enjoy watching it and being like oh there's a little bit of kirsten uh mm-hmm. but yeah listeners can just look up the music videos and short films by ben brewer ethan feldbau zach stoltz mm-hmm. Jeff Desson. <laughs> yeah, they're all music video directors that basically we all taught each other how to do visual effects um, because when you're a music video director, you don't have money. So you just have to learn how to rely on each other in that way. And so we developed a process. You know, we did um, 
a Tenacious D video all together. And we all just like went to my, my bedroom and brought all of our computers and we just like didn't cr- sleep for like a week. Yeah. We just cranked it out and just like together <laughs> learned how to, um, you know, do visual effects for our own movies. And, uh, we were really frustrated working with the big post houses in past projects. So for this one, we, we you know begged our producers, like, please let us do it our way. And I, th- I think we can do it cheaper and um, we'll still have a really interesting product that will look unique. It won't be perfect. It's not going to be photorealistic. It, and that's not the point. It's going to be uniquely suited for our movie. And I think we, the, our team really pulled off something beautiful. Yeah. It's been yeah. such a pleasure to talk to you as someone who... <laughs> During the lockdown, glued googly eyes to my letterbox oh. uh, outside my house before <laughs> I'd even seen your film. Wow. I am so grateful for having your particular brand of um, crazy and love in the world. Uh, I wondered if you wanted to hear a, um, a bummer of a letterbox review just to bring you, you know, yes, back please. down yeah. to earth. Ooh. Down to that size. way the listeners you. also can be like, okay, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Jack, who puts our facts together, we're in a Slack channel. Jack's listening Great. along. Uh, and he pasted he pasted one like just in case they oh, want to be humble. Yeah, sure. One. Bring it on. So Do you want it? Do you want it? Okay. That'd be a good way to end. Oh, the yeah, that's good. We walk off. We will walk off. That yeah. sounds good. We'll just scream obscenities. It's a one and a half star review from Jeremy. Uh-huh. Uh, it wants to be Eternal Sunshine, directed by Edgar Wright, but it's Cloud Atlas, directed by Deadpool. <laughs> That's a harsh zing. Oh, are, that's so good. That's though. 100% what we want it to be and 100% what we're afraid it is. Yeah. But you know what? To, like, it's still. That could be a five star review. That could be a five star review or a one and a half star. It could go either yeah, way. Some people love Cloud Atlas and Deadpool. But, I love that because, like, for yeah. internally, our reference points were all the movies that we've been talking about, but then also we're like. Cloud Atlas, Southland Tales, uh, even The, the Fountain. The Fountain. Like, just like these movies that are just like. I, like flops in the box office. Right, exactly. It's, it's not the thing you would tell to right. an investor, but like internally, like those movies were <laughs> just such big swings. And yeah. it, like to me, I, there's so much joy that I can derive from a film that is just going for it 100%, 110%. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Even if it's not, even if it misses almost every swing, it's like right. so fun to watch. And so, like to us, we're like, this is our Cloud Atlas, you know, maybe by through the lens of Deadpool. I actually. We're not massive Deadpool fans, so like I don't know if I would agree with that, but that's a thank you. That's a great way to end this. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Letterbox Show, and thanks to the Daniels for making a movie that has brought so much cinema joy. As we slowly, 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 slowly emerge from the pandemic, you can follow myself, Gemma, and our HQ page on Letterbox using the links in our episode notes. And thanks to GQ for that beautiful interview with Michelle that we used in the intro to this very episode. You cannot follow the Daniels. We asked if they had a secret letterbox. They do not. But they did tell us just after we finished recording that uh, Deirdre Bobedra is Shinert and Wayman is Kwan. <laughs> you can hear Slim on our other podcast every week as well. That's Weekend Watchlist with Mitchell and Mia. New episodes land on Thursdays. Thanks to our crew, Monica, for the theme music, Vampiros Dancotech, Jack for the facts, our booker, Linda Moulton, for looking after our guests, and Sophie Shin for the episode transcript. And to all of you for listening. The Letterbox Show is a Tape Deck production. There's no going back. You're foreign. American. 
And all Americans think about is their own happiness. This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Ooh.